Gentlemen, you are both drunk on cosmic wine. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Mark Sylvester. And I'm Dr. Richard Schulman. This, this is All Psych. We're officially live on tape now, so. Uh-oh. Welcome no, to the No more swearing. Nope. We got to cut that shit out. Ooh, I mean, stuff out. <laughs> Well, welcome to the virtual landscape that is the post-apocalyptic hellscape known as 2022. Um, hmm. I'm honored and privileged to present you, uh, Dr. John Laurence, um, author of this here, shameless plug, Melatonin, Miracle Molecule Beyond Sleep. Um, you've been doing natural health for a long time, started mm -hmm. off as a chiropractor and went back uh, it became a natural path. Um, what I'm really amazed by is how you've branched out and the amount of knowledge you've gained over 27 years of experience there at Advanced Rejuvenation. Uh, you got a terrific website, very in informative. I'm going to attach it below, of course. That's ultimatecellularreset.com, which has a, 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 a lot of frequency, but also a tremendous amount of resource tools on health and wellness. Um, many, many podcasts, we were talking about that before, uh, uh, geared to all different levels of knowledge, some above my head, some that's really for the entry level person. But we're going to specifically focus on melatonin today. And I want to thank you for uh, squeezing me in. It's We've both been crazy busy lately. So yeah. every second, every minute counts. So welcome to our, our little corner of the cyber web. Well, Dr. Mark, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, and I'm excited to learn about melatonin. You know, I think uh, there was a time where I was like most people, the average schmo, they certainly don't teach anything useful in medical school on this uh, topic. And I, like most people, heard of melatonin, associated it with uh, sleep, thought maybe, maybe I knew about the pineal gland because my father was a physician and maybe I knew a little bit more. But um, you've changed that. My own studies have changed that. There was a virus that came out three years ago that really changed that. Uh, the frontline protocol included melatonin. And it's just been an explosion of interest on my part and fascination, um, not only with this neurohormone, because it's not a drug, it's not a supplement. It's obviously ancient. It's evolved with us and all of our ancestors and creatures back probably since the beginning of time, since it follows the circadian rhythm of the day and night. And, uh, and then it became particularly interesting because of its role in the pineal gland, uh, which we'll get into as well, um, where there's a lot of very fascinating molecules like dimethyltryptamine and, and other things that I've always been interested in um, as they relate to near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences. What I'm really wondering is when did you, how did, well, let me back up. I think one thing that makes us uniquely qualified um, in this arena is that we both have gone through our own health challenges. Uh, in the past, which kind of put us in the patient's seat in a lot of ways to recognize the limitations of not only our own healthcare system, but the Western model firsthand and how it 
fell short, how it failed to help and heal us. And I kind of feel a unique bond and kinship with you in that I know that you can relate to that because you're not a, a healthcare provider that just has done the grape juice thing and is a, a professional technician and doing what that Western model does. But you're also not a patient without a background in physiology and, and neuroscience. So I think it makes you uniquely compassionate and understanding of that position that a lot of our patients come to us in. Oh, for sure. You know, and I, I don't, I didn't hear that laid up enough in some of the, in, in the research for the show. And I think that's a very important point in terms of your, what drives you, what heals yeah. you, what sustains you, what motivates you, why you're so passionate about this. And well, there's, there's, there are a lot of um, healthcare providers that, you know, I've met through my journey that share a, a pain to purpose story, you know, where you're the broken doctor, right? And then you go out and you, um, you have the hero's journey to figure out the problem. And then you have the solution you go to for contribution to your, you know, fellow humankind to help them navigate a similar um, challenge. What, what I got so blessed with Mark was I got to be shown um, virtually the, the secret to healing with almost any situation and and you know when when you start to appreciate the fact that the body is a self-healing uh self-regulating uh, machine it's it's got wisdom that as you mentioned you know includes things like the molecule melatonin and different systems that are ancient you know i mean they're they're likely you know even billions of years you mm -hmm. know i mean we, we we really don't know i mean maybe some of these um, things came in asteroids and, you know, I mean, there's yeah. just a lot of unknowns, but life would not be possible without melatonin and melatonin um, truly is a miracle molecule. And it sits right in the middle of the most action in the cell that there is, which is where the rubber meets the road, where the, the cell is making energy. And this is, this is what breaks down with almost every disease as a response to stress, which always includes uh, infl an inflammatory reaction from the stressor that, that really is at the, at the core of that effect. Yeah, I've, I've heard you say similar things in a number of ways. And, it, and it's so, um, you know, we were talking about kind of cracking the secret of, and again, it's not controlling our biology. It's understanding, appreciating, respecting, and helping course correct the innate wisdom of, of the body. Like you, I've heard you say many times before, and I just think that's so spot on. That resonates with me. It's, it's quite brilliant. And I think it's the true heart of healing. You know, mm -hmm. so much of the Western model is treat the symptom kick the can down the curb. Oh, there's nothing more we can do. That doesn't exist because I don't know about it. And people are waking up. People don't buy that jive anymore. And we've seen a huge increase in patients getting disillusioned with the system and looking for more complementary and alternative means. I don't think of what we do as complementary and alternative. I think of it as closer to the actual um, heart of what Hippocrates was ultimately trying to do 
He wasn't trying to create big pharma. He wasn't trying to do politics. He wasn't trying to know better than Mother Nature. I mean, the, the actual spirit of the Hippocratic Oath is, hey, we're passing on the wisdom that we've learned up until this point, but you need to take it further and you need to be appreciative for all that we know, but you need to be ready to abandon what doesn't work too. Well, you know, it's like you're looking at the the industrialization of healthcare and the, you know, democracy, right? It's like you have capitalism and capitalism works except for one thing that needs to be in place is that people are going to play fair in the sandbox, right? Yep. And and that's that 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 is the problem is that um what's happened is when you have the incentive of money it doesn't always match what's best for um, humankind and, and healthcare. And, you know, like, I mean, I, I can give you hundreds and hundreds of examples, but um, if you look at just like gut health, right? Like if you're a medical doctor and you're in, you're in, um, or even a DO, unfortunately DOs used to be a lot more holistic and they True. kind of uh, sold out. But if you're in medical school the books that you're reading are literally um, uh, sponsored by the pharmaceutical industry, which means that what the doctors are literally learning is the narrative that F big pharma wants them to hear, such as like, um, if you have um, acid reflux, that you block that symptom, which is a symptom of something that's an underlying dis-ease, a lack of ease in the body, and then the body is having a symptom and we're going to treat that symptom with something that's going to block the acid. And if you look at all of the research, um, it, it all points to the same thing that um, virtually all heartburn is caused by an infection of H. pylori. And this is something that isn't commonly even um, uh, looked at and, and, and tested. It's just blindly and so this is what the doctors are learning in medical school. They're not learning about the physiology of how the gut works, the, you know, the, the physiology of chewing, the, the aspect of how the stomach acid is a natural and important reaction for food in the stomach and that the pH actually has to get all the way down to a two to trigger the pyloric sphincter to release and let those contents into the small intestines, which then produces this bicarbonate dump from the pancreas. And, and so this is like this symphony that's happening. And we think that we're going to mess with nature and just block the acid when that acid is doing two very important things. One is it's breaking down proteins to make them available for us to absorb. And, but it's also ionizing minerals to make them um, available for us to absorb. So when people go on these acid blockers for long periods of time, and by the way, the pharmaceutical companies put it in their literature that it's just for a short term, yeah. but that's not the way that they've inspired the medical community to utilize yeah. that. But this is just one little aspect that when you, when you step back and you really look at that, it, it's not what is best for an individual that has that, that condition. Well, your, your point about the medical training, um, I couldn't agree with more. Um, I noticed Many people know I was an engineer before a doctor. And one thing engineers are phenomenally bad at is memorization, is accepting um, information at face value. So I struggled. 
I struggled quite honestly in medical school for two major reasons. One, I won't just memorize and regurgitate because I, I have to understand. Mm-hmm. I have to get the big picture. Um, and two, I was usually in the front row, you know, why, 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 why? And I realized not only did any, none of my classmates want me to ask why ever, they got annoyed with it, as did the professors, because they don't ever ask why. Like to your point about the stomach acid, why is stomach acid there? That's really the ultimate question. Is it there by accident? Is it a dysfunction? No, stomach acid is a normal function. It's supposed to be there. And, you know, you touched on a couple points, mineral absorption and all that. It does way more than that as well. It changes the, you know, the, the dysbiosis it can cause. It can um, certainly uh, uh, well, the start. Dysbi- the dysbiosis is the, if the stomach acid is not strong enough, there's not a strong enough um, stimuli to the pancreas to dump that bicarb. So the end result is an acidic substance. So all those stomach blockers are, you know, those acid blockers are literally creating a more acid um, substance in the small intestines, which then leads to leaky gut and dysbiosis. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Good point. Yeah. And so I, when I approached medicine, I approach, and I still, to this day, I can't undo the way I'm wired. It's always that function in the physiology. That's why I've always admired DOs because they tend to think more about that I really admire naturopaths because almost all of them think that way. Mm. And to me, that it, to not think that way and be in medicine doesn't compute for my brain. So when I realized there were two other engineers in my class of 225, both of those guys suffered similarly. And we would have to explain things to each other because mm-hmm. we'd have to try to figure out what we weren't being taught, understand the why, and then bring that information uh, but many, many of the topics, they just don't know enough to ask about. Melatonin is a perfect example. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the GI system. What exactly does melatonin have to do with the GI system? Because most people think of, oh, it's a, a sleep hormone. Yeah, that's great. Let's move into some really good applications. I mean, I think anybody listening to this um, show, um, you know, my goal is to give you some really good information that you can take away from the show and use practically in your life to create more vitality. And um, physical vitality is one of our three pillars and um, to ultimate health. And so um, melatonin, taking melatonin, especially after the age of 40, makes a lot of sense. And just, you know, to your point on with gut health, you know, who would think that melatonin would actually have that application for gut health, but actually there's an entire chapter in the book. Um, and, um, some, there's something called microbiome swarming. So it just so happens that the gut is, um, it has a circadian rhythm or the, I'm sorry, the microbiome has a circadian rhythm. And so when they're triggered by melatonin, which is released by the cells that line the gut, um, which is 400 times more melatonin than what the pineal releases, by the way, that's a lot, right? 400 X. And so all this melatonin dumps into the gut and those good bacteria thrive with this melatonin and start to reproduce and, um, um, and, and, and it's called swarming and that they do that at night with the melatonin, just like when you're sleeping. The other thing that's really amazing is that some of the bad bacteria 
that can cause colitis and Crohn's disease and you know a lot of ulcerative colitis um, are are suppressed when they looked at the, um, the the studies with this. And so I think anybody um, with any type of a gut con condition should take a close look at you know a their sleep. I mean every single person with a gut problem, I guarantee you're going to look at there's some problems with their sleep and their melatonin release because they're so hardwired. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, you mentioned, you made the analogy of be, kind of like a bee swarm in the book, which uh, you, you make a lot of analogies that resonate with me because one, I thought I invented these analogies and then I hear you say them and I'm like, wow, he thinks the same way I like do. Like kicking the beehive? Yeah. Kicking the beehive or um, you had a, a really good one. Oh, about traffic flow. Uh, you remember making that analogy? Uh -huh. I use that one all the time. And I thought I came up with that and it's brilliant. You know, I use it when we're talking about heavy metal detox and kind of this car breaks down, not really a big deal. You see the occasional car on the side of the highway, they slap a sticker on it. It may stay there forever. It may get towed off in a couple of days. Not a big deal. Nobody's rubbernecking. It's not obstructing, but you play that tape out and you get more and more cars breaking down. And now some of them are in the middle lane and some are on fire and the tow trucks can't keep up. These are senescent cells you're referencing, correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's such, I think, an analogy and, and metaphor. So that resonates very well oh, good. with me. Um, let, I want to talk a little bit about the other effects besides the gut. Um, I wanted to specifically because there's there's too, literally too much to cover all mm -hmm. of the biologic functions melatonin does but i'm trying to pick on ones that like you said might be the most practical for the viewer or an area that we've touched on less in this particular podcast such as cancer such as heavy metal detox yeah um and then yeah we, we get into the pineal gland specifically and, and fluoride and, and dmt and detoxing and all of that but do you, I guess, what is melatonin's role in cancer in terms of prevention and treatment? Well, um, when you understand, uh, if you look at something called the Warburg effect, which is highly referenced in all cancer research, um, because the Warburg effect is when the mitochondria um, stops producing energy and the energy is moved out of the mitochondria into the cell structure. And it's a, it's a big hit for the cell. I mean, the cell all of a sudden is at like 10% capacity to make energy. And oftentimes this hit occurs when we have a, a fairly stressful situation that the body's attempting to adapt to, right? So you can imagine like an infection like COVID, um, an individual has this inflammatory reaction from the infection and the trigger with the Warburg effect um, is too much inflammation which is too much stress because all stressors are going to have that one thing in common where they're leading to um, an infl inflammatory response in a certain set of cytokines and the mitochondria really don't like you know they don't like swimming in that stuff you know they basically no. say you know the water's a little bit too dirty you know I'll come back to the beach, you know, when red tide's gone, you know, something like that, right? There's an analogy for you. We're, we're in Sarasota. We get red tide over on this coast. And, I'm familiar um, with that. <laughs> and so it'd be the same thing. If I was a mitochondria and it was like too much red tide, I'm like, you know, hey, this is bothering my 
respiratory. I'm just going to come back. And I'm not going to go paddle boarding today. Yeah. So, um, so then, so then what's left for the cell is to go to a very primitive form of energy, which is called fermentation or anaerobic glycolysis, where you're making energy without oxygen. And, and so it's primitive because at some point in the evolution, um, or creation of the human cell, um, there was a symbiotic relationship where the mitochondria then entered the cell and the cell then, and the, and the mitochondria have this relationship where the mitochondria is able to make the energy much more efficient and the mitochondria can exist inside of the cell and they're like this happy relationship, right? So we're going back to the primitive way of making energy, meaning before this upgrade happened to the cell. And so if we were fighting an infection and all of a sudden we have this Warburg effect, we're all of a sudden faced with a battle that we only have 10% of the uh, troops left to fight. And so we're surely going to um, begin to lose that. It doesn't necessarily mean for sure that that battle is going to be lost, but it's a high probability. And we call that the cytokine storm. And this happens with um, COVID, this happens with um, virtually every infection. Um, but what people aren't talking about is that this is happening with all diseases. And this is at the root of literally all diseases to 100, some extent. Because, 100%. Because if we can adapt to something, right? So you kind of have these two choices. If you're sick, either the body can adapt or you die, right? I mean, that what other options are there, right? So there's an adaptation because there's never going to be something that comes in and heals you, right? I mean, we don't, as physicians, we don't heal anybody. The body does the healing. All we do is remove the interference, you know, and provide some, some, some support. Um, but the healing happens by the body at the cellular level, and it needs energy to do that. It needs energy to make this, create this adaption. And so when the body runs out of energy, the adaptive capacity of the body is reduced, and then disease will manifest in your body, depending on your genetics your, and your epigenetics. And it doesn't get any simpler than that. And, it, and it's sad and um, frustrating that Western medicine doesn't get that very basic concept. It's It's you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it starts from the training, you know, you hear about from bench to bedside, that sounds like a cool catchphrase, but how many people are in between bench and bedside and who's paying for these studies in the bench is a big problem. But for that information to get to the physicians, it has been managed, uh, manipulated, and certainly tainted in, uh, a well, way just there's middlemen. It doesn't go straight from the bench anymore. Yeah. There's, there's all these middlemen, <clears throat> their hands out, and um, and the FDA is making sure that that you know continues that way. But yeah, so so listen, there's 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 a there's a um, silver lining to this, and the silver lining is that when this system was set up with this symbiotic relationship, melatonin was there, and melatonin I would almost say was the the friendly molecule that kind of chaperoned you know i can just see a melatonin molecule taking a mitochondria into the cell and hey we're going to go do this together 
Like, let's go on this adventure. I think we can really upgrade these cells because I'm going to sit here and I'm going to keep, keep things from getting a little bit too hot. So I can let you really work and make a bunch of oxygen. I'm sorry, a lot of ATP with um, glucose and oxygen. And we're going to churn out close to 10 times the amount of energy that this cell can make right now. And I'm going to stay here with you as long as things don't get too crazy. Now, if it get like if the red tide comes in, though, I'm out of here, right? Yeah. You have to do it yourself. And so, and so that's kind of how I visualize that whole scenario. Now, what's really amazing is that you can take um, melatonin and it can reverse this process and it can also um, prevent this process from even flipping out of the mitochondria to begin with. And they've done lots and lots of studies. And this is the reason that it seems to work on such a wide variety of conditions. And when you look at the melatonin miracle molecule book, um, you're, you just see there's a chapter on cardiovascular, neurology, skin, gut. Um, uh, there's a chapter on, you know, musculoskeletal, on on. inflammation, infection. Uh, sleep, you know, it's sex it's all hormones, there. autoimmune, yeah, hormones, glands, diabetes, uh, cancer, diabetes, uh, liver. It's it's such a great book. The way it's, I mean, I I review a lot of books. I read a lot of books. This has honestly been one of my biggest pearls and gems that I've run across. Not only as a human, but as a provider, because. It's information that I've kind of picked out from all over, all put into one authoritative, I highly agree, accurate resource that you you, you just get right off of Amazon and empower yourself. I mean, of course, work with your primary provider. Um, we're not we're not disseminating that medical information, but we're appreciating the role that it has and uh, melatonin's arguably the most ancient part of our brain. Um, well, the know, sad thing is if people are going to turn to their provider regarding melatonin, what they're going to hear is, oh no, that's dangerous. It, it can be toxic and it'll shut down your own production. And then you're going to be reliant on taking it the rest of your life. You know, these things are completely false. Um, the word toxic and melatonin shouldn't even be used in the same sentence. And, yeah. you know, there's been a, article that's been floating around about five children and they say that there's um, um, toxic exposure to these kids from melatonin and we need to be really careful and um, what's interesting it was you really really look under the covers with this and dig into it you find that the kids had a very wide range of doses from like 15 milligrams up to I think 40 or so um, and so there's no consistency on dosing and there was also no control over what else was going on. And so it's very probable that, that you just had these, um, accidental things that happened and they just happened to be kids that were on melatonin and people are thinking, well, um, kids shouldn't be on melatonin, blah, blah, blah. But that's ridiculous because kids make a lot of melatonin. And so melatonin has been shown to be so non-toxic that when they did it with animal studies, they had to stop at about 150,000 milligrams. That would be about the correlation would be an adult taking about 150,000 milligrams. And they stopped at saying, we just don't see any toxicity. 
So there's no toxicity with melatonin. So those, those two words shouldn't be in the same pair, uh, sentence. And secondly, what's really beautiful about melatonin is that you don't shut down your own production when you take it as a supplement. And so when you take melatonin as a supplement, you have a couple of options. You've got taking it orally in a pill. There's liposomal versions, which are better because they're going to get a little bit better absorption into the system um, in those liposomes. And then you have um, a suppository uh, route of delivery, which happens to be the best because it mimics the absorption into the um, system. And that oral melatonin has been shown to only be about 1.5% absorbable. And so um, when you're getting into liposomals, there's going to be a higher absorption there, but it's just very poorly absorbed in, in pills. So that's not the best way to consume melatonin. Now you miss, you, you skip all of the problems with oral um, schedules with, um, with, with things like it's melatonin a and a lot of other nutrients when you do it with a suppository, because you're not breaking, breaking it down with a stomach acid um, and the digestive enzymes. And there's something called first pass through the liver, which breaks a lot of these things down and you're skipping all that. So you're getting this slow bleed directly into the bloodstream over the course of five to seven hours. And this works really well. And another, another uh, molecule I'm really um, excited about is glutathione because it's also mm -hmm. a sleep promoting substance. It's got great antioxidant capacities. And so this is something that we put into a suppository and a liposomal um, product called Sandman. Yeah, the Sandman is a, a, the 200 milligram dose. And then you even have the Super Sandman and the 400 milligram. Uh -huh. And the suppository, you know, for you to come up with the suppository it, uh, just shows how you're, you're understanding the physiology, you're understanding the, um, the way that the body absorbs processes, you know, the homeostasis, let's say mechanisms of, of melatonin, and then the, the way that it works, you know, how, what melatonin actually does at the, at the mitochondria or the cellular level, um, it's far superior. I mean, even if there wasn't an absorption problem, uh, oral absorption problem, there's still the uh, time absorption. The slow problem. release. Yeah. There's no way you're going to get a good slow release um, with, with any oral. I mean, it just, no matter what you, what strategy you use, it's just not going to work. Um, anything like a, a suppository delivery like that. You know, there's more and more, I haven't heard as much negative uh, press about melatonin. The world's been too busy, but since in the last three years, I have seen more and more studies like, oh, you know, more and more people are having problems sleeping because we're all going through a shared collective trauma and more stress and all this. And therefore, more people are turning to melatonin and therefore there's more melatonin injury. I've heard things like that. I don't think most of our viewers are going to go to their primary, you know, primary care MD and say, hey, what do you think of melatonin? Because you're not going to find an allopathic doctor that knows squat about it, quite honestly. So I, I don't see so much the misinformation. Um, I'm more concerned about misinformation with methylene blue, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a little foreign to most people. Uh, you do a great job explaining it in the book, you know, how it kind of started out as a dye in the 1870s. And mm -hmm. um, you this know, is the, a different book, though. It's um, there's a there's an, an, an e-book that I wrote on methylene blue called The Magic Bullet, which we can link to um, that for your listeners. Yeah. 
but we, we, we will. And, and I think that's where you were talking about kind of through time, you know, since the 1800s has been used in the thymus surgery to assist with that. Um, and, and I like to use al my allopathic training kind of uh, against itself sometimes like, well, this is interesting. So still to this day, 2022, methylene is kind of a primary choice for things like, like cyanide and carbon monoxide, et cetera. So that shows like Western medicine recognizes its, its safety and efficacy for the electron transport chain in dire situations, life or death. Carbon monoxide will kill you quickly. Cyanide will kill you quickly. <coughs> yeah. And yet methylene blue can actually intervene. The factors and intervention is amazing, um, but it's still safe. And it's uh, way underreported, way underutilized. And um, like you said, and, and when we get into this, uh, the 10% the, the output, you, you need to desperately increase the, the mitochondria, which ironically, right, the symbiotically evolved from a bacteria. So we were anaerobes really until a bacteria helped us become more aerobic. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to know kind of everything about methylene blue as well. But I, before we shift from, from melatonin, methylene blue, I wanted to talk about me, uh, melatonin specifically in the role of heavy metal detox, because we're seeing more and more and more of that uh, come up. I don't know if it's just post-industrial revolution. I don't know if we're living longer, so we're seeing more toxic people earlier. But I'm really fascinated with that specific role and function and melatonin's ability to assist in actual detox pathway. Yeah, um, it, 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 it's triggering um, heavy metal detox from the brain and, and probably from the rest of the body as well. And the best way I could describe that is if you didn't have energy and all of a sudden you had energy, it's likely that when that energy returned, you're going to be looking around and wanting to organize things or clean things up, right? Because it's kind of part of it's our nature when we're when we don't have energy that we we let things slide a little bit, you know, and the important things are attended to, but some of the less important things like housekeeping and cleaning kind of um, uh, get, uh, get, get looked over. And so when you start to charge up that cellular energy, you start to kick out these heavy metals. And so that's why I think it may be a good idea to take binders for anybody mm -hmm. when they're starting taking melatonin, especially the higher doses that we're, we're, rec you know, we're, we're, we're suggesting are safe with, um, with people um, over the age of 40. Yeah, that, that's amazing to me that um, I, I call what you're talking about the tip of the spear. Um, if in a perfect operating, you know, ideal physiologic state, we, we've got a really sharp spear and it, it is really good at finding every last, you know, a Borrelia, every last Lyme, every last CMB virus, uh, EBV virus, the COVID virus, but you dull the tip of that spear just a little bit with environmental toxins, like you said, chronic fatigue. You made a really good point in one of your podcasts. There's so many, I can't even keep them straight in my mind, but you were talking about chronic sleep deprivation and how critical sleep is and how critical that role of melatonin is, especially uh, while we're asleep in the, in the inflammatory process and all of that, you restore, you sharpen the spear, you restore that tip 
so that you get rid of things like chronic Lyme, you get rid of neurologic diseases, which may not even be appropriately diagnosed, quite frankly, or they meet, you know, like fibromyalgia, they might be a little bit more trash canny. You can have all kinds of brain lesions that meet the criteria for MS. You remove a heavy metal, guess what? MS goes into remission, dementia's reversed. These are things that are incompatible with our Western understanding, which clearly shows it's, it's wrong. It needs updated. It needs to understand the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, I think that um, when people start to realize that, you know, they, they can start looking around at their life at what are, what are inflammatory triggers um, and start looking at removing those. So if people are listening to this and they have a disease that they're dealing with, or they're just looking to be more vital and have better cognitive function, there's really nothing better for the brain and the neurology than working with things like methylene blue and melatonin to improve um, um, uh, brain function. And, and also protect your brain. You know, some of the neuroprotective aspects of both melatonin and, and um, methylene blue are incredibly impressive. You know, the, some of the laboratory studies they've done with um, animal models, you know, prior to a stroke or a heart attack um, for both molecules is, is just incredible. So having these things on board um, gives me a feeling of, of relaxation, knowing that, you know, I've got some protection from some things like that. Well, I, I, wa I wanted to get into the pineal gland and DMT. We usually go down the rabbit hole with stuff like that. But I think, you know, for time and today, I, I want to focus on methylene blue because it's something I know less about. Uh, I know you do an IV and, and liposomal and there are some other different forms. I'm kind of interested in how the, how the laser or the photons, if you're talking about concurrently work with with methylene blue to activate it to facilitate it, its actions uh, at that cellular level yeah i don't understand um, that yeah well methylene blue is a um it's a salt it's an industrial salt it's and it was used originally as a dye because it's a great dye and mm -hmm. in fact once still you start used. using it yeah you got some stains it's still, yeah, it's still used, right? For, for fixing yeah. slides. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Um, uh, and when you start using it as a supplement, you'll start to realize that, you know, it'll, it can stain your fingers and fingernails and your, um, you know, like my chopping board at home, you know, cause yeah. we have a, a product we launched that are these little bars and you can cut them, you know, into little pieces. And we also, some people take some of the suppository, methylene blue suppositories, and they'll cut those as well. And so some of those little pieces can get you in trouble. So you got to have to be careful when you start using methylene blue as a supplement. But um, basically um, what they discovered with methylene blue was, was pretty fascinating that it goes right into the mitochondria. It has this affinity to just go right into the mitochondria. And so it accumulates in the mitochondria. So any tissues that are higher metabolically demanding tissues that require more mitochondria. Because like example, there's cells in your um, brain that have as much as 2 million mitochondria, mm -hmm. where like the average heart cell, um, uh, heart cell has like four to 5,000, right? But there's some cells that just have a few hundred. So these um, cells that are uh, more rich with mitochondria are going to show up really really blue, right? And so people that are doing dissections 
can it, it, um, soak this these um, uh, tissue samples with um, with methylene blue. And so they were doing a study um, in the 1800s to try and figure out a cure for malaria, right? And so in order for them to see the organism um, that they're trying to treat with whatever chemical and the reaction, because they can watch it die and do whatever it's going to do, it starts to quiver and they can see it kind of roll over or whatever. Um, so they put the dye in and then they found that the parasite that was carrying the malaria literally died from the methylene blue. And so um, they- Which was they a great moment in, in history, in my opinion, yeah. future clinical use and allopathic use or you know, osteopathic use of methylene. That, that was amazing discovery. Think about it. Right. Well, what was really fascinating was that, you know, they, they further found that it really doesn't have any harm to the tissues. As long as you don't go really, really high with the dosage, you can cause a problem with your ability to, um, to make energy because it, it, it kind of basically clogs up the system um, and doesn't allow the oxygen to get in. But because um, methylene blue actually charges up the um, mitochondria independent of oxygen. And so the methylene blue acts as both an electron donor and, um, and also an electron acceptor. So a pro-oxidant and an antioxidant. And um, because of that, you can um, have about a 30% increase in mitochondrial um, output, which is a lot. Now it's, you can further- you're operating at 10%, right? If you're yeah. in the 10% mode and you add 30%, you're going to see healing quick. Well, well, that that's where the magic of combining methylene blue and melatonin together, because if you're talking about that 10% and that Warburg effect, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not, I'm not sure that the methylene blue has an effect on the Warburg effect, like the melatonin does. Cause I don't, I don't know that it's been um, studied that way, but if you take the melatonin and you return the energy back into the mitochondria, and then charge the mitochondria back up. I mean, you're talking futuristic next level. And, you know, we, we treat a lot of patients, uh, Mark. I mean, we, we have a lot of patients that come into our center here in Sarasota. Um, and uh, we have a, um, you know, a healing center and we focus on a lot of regenerative medicine and orthopedic medicine, but we also do a lot with neurology and um, a lot of chronic infection and biotoxin illness. And we also do a lot of distance coaching with clients all over the world, really. And um, having tools like these has been the biggest game changer ever. Uh, it makes my job um, fairly easy because often, you know, these are kind of some of our first line, um, mm -hmm. along with sinus hygiene, by the way. I know we may not really get, have time to get into it, but doing some antimicrobial nasal and sinus hygiene really can play a big role into um, brain health as well. But, you know, with those three things intact, they're kind of make up a big core of our, um, of our, of our effort with like home care. Yeah. I, I, I if we, I, if I can con you into a part two of that, we'll, we'll talk about that because you also do sinus manipulation, you know, which affects the pineal gland. Um, and, and there's a lot, I've always been fascinated with the science, uh, the, the sinuses. I've always had problems with my sinuses. That is why I sound the way that I sound. I, nobody hates it more than me, but ultimately my sinuses most likely got messed up from the exposure to mercury at a young age, which was implanted, you know, of course, by a dentist. still to this day, we implant this. We're the only first world country that still does. 
despite its known toxicity. Then you take something like methylene blue, which Western medicine would not disagree with anything that you said about methylene blue. Western medicine actually knows this and yet still doesn't utilize it. It, it just, it was one of the earlier things that made me kind of abandon all hope. I mean, I, I knew in medical school, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Like they're, they're going to give me a bunch of information and you put it in your toolbox. You know, this isn't CMEs we're talking about. This is revolutionizing medicine and understanding the way mother nature has evolved and designed you know, kind of like your H. pylori, acid is there for a reason. You need to understand that it's not a dysfunction of the body. It's that adaptation, like you were talking about. And the adaptation yeah. is the innate wisdom of mother nature and our body and the power. So your entire philosophy, your entire approach of, of approaching people on that inflammatory cellular level is I think why you why it is easy. I know it isn't easy for you, but I, I hear your message loud and clear because you deal with some really difficult cases. Yeah, you 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 do a lot of high performance people, ultimate fighters and things like that, which you know is equally as good. I it's just usually we see train wrecks that have given up a fight, you know, it's taken them going round and round and round the system to finally get unbrainwashed and think outside the butt. The, the box and people put a lot of trust and faith in you because of your knowledge base, your story, your results. And, uh, and it does come think from things like melatonin and methylene blue. Um, we got a few more minutes. If you do I, tell me about the photon and the light, the laser act, how does that activate methylene blue? Well, so than... methylene blue is brilliantly blue, and so it absorbs all red, and it and it um, deflects um, um, blue, and that's why it looks blue. And so, um, when the photons in the in the range of six hundred and sixty nanometers, which penetrate the body fairly well, when those enter into um, um, the mitochondria, those photons act as electrons as well, and they further perpetuate this effect um, with enhancing cellular energy. So combining those two together um, are, is a great idea. And there's a couple of op options people have. Um, one of them is to, um, to get these red light panels, which we actually sell them. Um, they're called MitoLights uh, on, our, on our site, mitozen.com. And secondly is um, there's... Um, uh, there's these red lights that sauna space makes that are really beautiful. And it's something kind of new that I've been um, playing around with where um, I just set the light in the house, you know? And so when I wake up in the morning, I turn it on and I'm just getting this exposure, you know, to this, to this red light. And um, you can, you can use it in, in a sauna scenario, but you can just let it rip in your room. And like, you know, so when I wake up, I have this red light going for, um, 20, 30 minutes. And then at night, um, you know, right around sunset, I, I turn it on again. And so I'm getting that kind of amber light into my eyes. I'm getting that, those photons into my skin. And so I'm, I'm kind of checking all the boxes and it's really not that difficult. It's very easy to implement for anybody in their life. And you also have, um, what is the device that you, it looks like a sauna at your office that you that you walk in that has the red light? 
Um, well, it's it's like a little room where we have, I think, about eight um, of the flat LED panels that produce both um, infrared and um, and red light. So it's like a, a much more intense kind of, you know, commercial grade than people would use in, in a single light box at home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to have you. I, I'm grateful, appreciative of your time. I know how uh, we've struggled to coordinate our schedule, so I'm super excited it worked out. And uh, I appreciate you taking taking time and educating our viewers on this. And uh, I do encourage everyone to to go out get this book. It's the audio book. I like I'm an old fashioned paper book, and I use it kind of like it's basically kind of written like a textbook. Um, but melatonin miracle molecule beyond sleep is a wealth of information. I couldn't wholeheartedly agree with everything in there. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Dr. John Laurence. If anybody's interested in, um, you know, uh, more information about the clinic, we're at advancedrejuvenation.us and then um, mitozen.com is our store. And then Instagram at Dr. Mitozen um, at Instagram. And uh, ultimatecellularreset.com mm -hmm. yeah. as well. So yeah. thank you so much for being All here, right. Dr. John. Great. And I hope we can do this again. All right, let's do it. Thanks, Mark. All right. All right, bye-bye. All right.